You're now listening to the Specific Brown Show. Specifically music. music. Specifically real. Real. Hosted by DJ SB. Your favorite MC. This is where it's at. Hello and welcome once again to the SB Podcast. Today is episode four of the second series. And today I was joined by Ash from ACM. So with no further ado, let's get into it. Hello and welcome to the Specific Brown Podcast. This is episode four of the new series. And I'm joined today by Ash from ACM. Ash, how's it going, man? Hey, how's it going, Alex? You all right? Yeah, not too bad, man. You've been busy recently? Yeah, full on, full on. Uh, just so much to do. So little time, as you can imagine. Um, you know, summer's just gone and, you know, there's been a lot of work over the summer and then obviously going back into teaching and mentoring again has, you know, picked up. So, yeah, it's been quite busy, quite busy. Cool, man. Um, I brought you on today because uh, you work at ACM in, like, a t- advisory slash teaching capacity and um, you're really unique as far as people who I've encountered so far, like, in what you specialise in and, like, like what you do and how you earn your living, like there's not really I can't I can't really think of anyone like you in regards of like your field of speciality. Would you like to introduce to the list yourself to the listeners who may not know who you are? Yeah, so I'm my name's Ash. Um, I guess the industry knows me as Smash. I run my own company called Smash Productions. Um, basically, I'm a songwriter, music producer, and audio engineer. I get most of my uh, work or my kind of outside work, private work through that, and I use it through my company. But the kind of additional um, work that I do stems back because I've got a degree in animation. Um, I've done art my whole life. So, um, and what's unique about the kind of things that I do is able to bridge the gap between the music that I make and the artwork that I do. Um, And it comes in many capacities, whether it's um, like basic doing album art cover, album cover art for myself or other people, or it could be doing motion graphics. Um, It could be doing lyric videos for the music that I've done or other people. Um, And most probably, well, it's not recent, but the the biggest, the biggest task that I've I've, I've done utilizing my graphical work and my music has been actually doing a full length animated CG video, um, which took a whole year to do because I was like kind of doing it by myself and kind of outsourced a couple of people to kind of help me. So um, that's kind of what I I do outside of ACM. Within ACM, I'm what is called a mentor. Uh, I basically just help students get through and guide them through their journey through ACM, kind of in in an informal way. Um, I'm bringing what I do on the outside to them. So it's kind of a real time uh, view as to as as to what's going on in the industry and, and and you know kind of let them see okay, I am, you know, this person outside of work and these are the kind of things that I do bring to the kind of, I do bring to the table. That's really interesting that you mentioned about like your, your background in graphic design and stuff. Was that where you first started, like from an educational point of view, like when you were in school or when you are at university, was graphic design your big thing? Or was it music at the same time? Or was music ahead of the graphic design for you? Not so, yeah, like music... So just for the listeners, I mean, and I always say this because it's always quite important. I got into music late. Um, in, I've done art my whole life. Ever since I could remember, I used to draw. 
And then from drawing, I used to do, I, I, you know, from high school to college, I did graphics. Um, and then from graphics, I did animation and I've, I've got a degree in, you know, CG animation. Um, and then I even worked freelance until I was like 24, 25 years old. And it was only when I was on a freelance job in Brixton working for an independent filmmaker in a very big complex, um, I think it was called Brixton Studios at the time. Um, they, they housed many different kind of studios, dance studios, photography studios. At the back, there were music studios. So because I was on a job for quite a long time, you kind of mingle and get to know the different people because they help you with, or they help the, with the projects that you're getting on with. So I got to know one of the, the studios at the back and one day I just asked the guy, because I, I was working with him kind of side by side for like six months. I said to him, he was doing the music for the independent filmmaker. I said, do you mind if I have a dabble on, you know, in the studio? He said, sure. Um, he left me for like four hours because he had a meeting. And it, the time just went like in 20 minutes. And then he came back and he goes, let's hear what you've got. And I just fell in love with it. And that's when it kind of started at the age of, I think I was like 24, 25. So it happened really late. And I always tell this to people because I think it's really important. It's okay to not know what you don't, you, it's okay to not know what we're going to do. Um, and even though I was so involved in animation and artwork, um, it was okay when I discovered music for me to almost take a 180. I know it seems nuts at the time because my whole life was into animation and it still is. I'm still into art animation. I'm still follow it. <clears throat> I'm still quite passionate about it. But music just, when I started making it, it allowed me to see a different sense of gratification for it almost instant that it just made me feel happy like way more happier and um yeah that's how it started 20 24 years old that's where it kind of kicked off i mean i was djing before that but that's not production you know that's not creating the music so to speak but yeah 24 is when i got into it that's fascinating man um from an artwork point of view, like, did you start the artwork stuff really early or was it similar with your music where like you're in school and, and somehow you stumbled upon the art and you found you were passionate for it? Uh, no, I mean, I knew that I wanted to do art for the rest of my life. Since I was young, I mean, my parents always knew that I was either going to go to do art in some way, shape or form. Um, so it was always, I've always been a creative, so to speak, but art was always the, the major forefront. And then when I discovered animation, um, and like in specific 3D animation for film and for TV, that's when I really started studying that craft, you know, and I love, I love that. I mean, I'm still learning and I think, you know, I'm still doing it, you know, to this day, I'm still trying to bridge my love of the two fields of, you know, my visual field, which is the animation and my music. Um, it's, but it's just difficult because they're two different, you know, specialities They're two different, um, fields of work that it sometimes is very difficult to jump between the two because both of them require a lot of attention. Cool, man. Um, comparing the field of art in which you've been working in and like you specialize in and comparing the music, um, would you say there's like transferable skills that apply to both fields that like you, you've got a knack for and that's helped you with both? Or is there kind of a disconnect where certain things, although they're both creative, there's like different skill sets? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, that's a fantastic question. For a long time, when I was doing music, when in the early stages, I had neglected a lot of 
the animation because I didn't understand how I could connect them. And I couldn't understand at the time being so young as well, how, because you have to, when you jump from one thing to another, you do have to relearn. I had to relearn a whole different industry, you know, but I realized on the way there were transferable skills. And, and it's only looking back do I realize what those transferable skills were. One of them was definitely patience. I mean, you've got to have patience with each, with each of these things. And um, given the time to just learn and get all of the kind of, I wouldn't say crap stuff out of the way, but you have to be patient and just work. With both fields, you notice that you have to, you have to sit down and you have to always learn. Um, there's never a point where you say, oh, I've, I've got my, I've done what I needed to do. I've got, I've learned how to do it this way. There's no need for me to kind of do it again or, or, or go into the field. When you're in the field, you're constantly in, involved in going on specific websites, reading certain blogs, speaking to specific people. Um, so I would say in terms of the learning aspect, that is very much transferable against them both. Um, some of the science between what I do in and what I do musically, like for mixing, um, especially when you get really in depth with mixing and understand frequencies and stuff, it kind of, there are some things that relate over to animation because animation again is, it can get very technical, you know? <clears throat> it's just a different set of, um, just a different set of rules and principles. And then another thing that you kind of notice with both, both of them is you almost start seeing like the, the software, you, you know, there's, there's so much software there's, you know, in music, there's Logic, there's Ableton, there's Fruity Loops, there's uh, Cubase, there's Pro Tools, and they can all look, it all looks nuts in it. If you've never seen it before, they can all look quite crazy. And that is very similar to that of an animation software as well. You would look at it and you'd be like, what is this? <laughs> like when you start looking at the, the, the two types of software, they're completely two different you know, types of software, but you start to figure out almost how Neo figures out the matrix, that there are certain kind of rules that apply overall, even though they're two separate, um, you know, two, they're two separate you know specific fields um you know you do see you do kind of find connections here and there you know that's that's really interesting man um is it kind of like for both of them is it like a voyage of discovery where you certain things pop up along the way and like ah that's useful and i'll learn that or is it kind of like is there like a set way a set pathway to learn both of the fields where it's kind of like that's a given like a for instance like a almost like a syllabus in school where they you get touched taught certain things or is it kind of more natural than organic in nature? It's way more organic. I, I was quite lucky and, and, you know, and I say lucky because I was that I, I, I worked on my craft of art and animation through the first 20 years of my life. First 20, 25 years of my life. So I was already very, very good with, with that and over those 20 24 years 25 years 10 of those years i had already been exposed to 3d animation and 3d software so i was way ahead like within what i was doing when i discovered music although i found similarities 
it is a completely different film, which you do have to learn. You have you like it's a it's a completely different skill set. So you do have to take. It was almost as if I was rewinding my ten years and saying, right, I'm going back to year one, but for music. Um, but because it was still early, I was still in my early twenties. I could afford to do that, and I wanted to do that. And I think that was the, the, the frustrating part for me because I kept on beating myself up that I had spent, you know, a good part of fifteen to twenty years almost perfecting a craft, and now just because. I want to, and I want to discover, and it just didn't feel right for me to just dive into the animation. And it, you know, it caused a lot of problems, obviously, with my parents as well. They were like, "You spent twenty years perfecting this. You're now going back to square one to learn this." And um, that was the hard, hard part was to do that. Um, and that did that 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 could that can't happen. Like that's very difficult for it to happen. In tandem, but you, I don't think it would be very easy for anybody to pick up both things, starting from ground zero, and then learning one by one. I think I ha- I, it has to be done. Like you have to understand one side of it, and then dedicate yourself to the other other thing. You know, it's almost kind of what Da Vinci or what Michelangelo would do back in the day. You dedicate yourself to a craft, you learn it, and then if you want to learn something else, you can't. You can still kind of dabble in it, but learning them together is just—it it would have been too. I think it would be too much for anybody. That's like almost doing two sets of degrees at the same time. Yeah. Wow, man. Um, at the time, like, was there a lot of soul searching when you made that decision? Like, did you have like a friendship group or like peers who, or like people in like who you knew were tutors that gave you advice and encouragement, or was it like pretty much like going into the wilderness? It was very much going into the wilderness at the time. I mean, I had so when I left university with my degree, I was ad- I was positive that I was going to be an animator. I was going to work for a film company where I was going to make my own independent films. I started doing script writing um, and stuff like that. Um, so it was only after that when I had just like discovered music that's when I went through this turmoil and I didn't have anybody. It was just me figuring it out by myself. I was working part time jobs. Um, and I was figuring out myself and it was really, really strange because all I knew that is I wanted to, to be a producer at that moment when I discovered music and I want to be a producer, but I was very much in turmoil about the previous 20 years that I had dedicated to animation because I was like, what do I, and I think it was, I was in, a lot of people was in shock. As I said, my parents, they were in shock. A lot of my friends were in shock because I was, I was very good at, I'm, I'm still good at animation, but I was, I was, I was really, really good at, at university. And if anybody told you at university as a 20 year old, they'd be like, yeah, Ash is an animator. He's, he's going to be made, he's, he's an animator. So for that to happen and, the, you know, for me to say, no, I don't want to do that. I want to be a, a music producer and an engineer. I think that just turned a lot of heads and, you know, it turned away, messed my head up. But I mean, eventually, as you kind of rightfully said, I found myself, you know, and I found that balance. And I think that's what life and that's what time gives you. Time gives you um, the, the allowance to just figure stuff out. And I allowed myself 
to educate myself in the music field. I didn't waste any time, you know. Um, and when it, when it got serious, I got recognized for it. And I think that's when it started becoming easier for me because I wasn't now guessing that. I wasn't just like making assumptions that, am I good or am I not good? Okay, this person says I'm good because they're asking me now to travel to, a, to the other side of the world to work with them on music. So it's like I affirmation, was, yeah. Yeah, I was, I, it was coming back now. And I think from then, I started becoming more accepting of the fact that, okay, I, I just need to give myself time and patience. I need to be kind to myself. Cool, man. Specific Brown Show. The Specific Brown Show. The Specific Brown Show. If you had a DeLorean like Marty McFly, would you go back? If you could go back in time to that juncture, would you do everything as you did? Have you, have, would you do it all again? Or would there, not to second guess yourself, or would you, would you do it a different way? No, I'd, I'd do it all again. I would like to say that I would have liked to have gone out and like networked a little bit more. But when I look back at the kind of route that I took, the hard route, not the easy route, I'm looking back on it and I'm so grateful for it because the fact that it's been really difficult has allowed me because nothing nothing worth having is, is it comes easy if it comes easy everyone can get it and it's you know it's it, you know everyone deserves it but not everybody deserves it because they don't work hard at it. and so when i look back at the journey at the time i was thinking damn i wish i did have it easy but looking back now that i've gone through it i don't think i'd change anything because i i, I just think that those crossroads those hard brick walls that i faced the failures the the harshness of the journey has also not just built my my um, career it's also built my character you know it's allowed me to understand that in life fa uh, failure is just as as just as as much as as part of success you know and that's one thing that i try and you know tell people that Anyone successful that anyone's looked up to, all these great entrepreneurs, they're not just successful, <laughs> you know, they're successful because of their failures, you know, it, you know, it's just that I guess social media and everything that everything everyone puts out on socials and, and what they put out in front of people in terms of books and documentaries and stuff are, there are success stories, but, you know, part of that is hitting brick walls having failures, having projects that don't work, because they're the ones, they're the things that make you get up and be like, okay, I've got to go and do it this way, you know? So, that's I don't think I change much. That's good, good to hear, man. Um, I, I'm, I'm taking it from like, the way that you phrased everything you just said, like, you, there, was, there was some difficult times, soul searching, like, um, this is a big thing at the moment, I think it's good, um, like, awareness in society of mental health, was there any times where, like, you, you kind of, like, have maybe had, like, not depression, but you, like, felt a bit low and stuff? And did, did, you, did you have support networks, like, in, your, in the workplace and, uh, like, in your educational institutions or through family and friends? Or maybe that didn't apply to you? 
Yeah, I mean, back in, in, in the education I was in was the early, for, for the, my degree was the early 2000s. So we're talking about 20 years ago now. Um, so there were systems in place, um, but I just don't think it was widely like noticeable, you know. Um, but there were support systems like, you know, you had all of that stuff there. But also, I mean, a big part of it is back then, um, you know, there weren't many smartphones. The only smartphone that you had back then was a BlackBerry. Yeah. You know? And um, there wasn't anything of having something on your phone that you could go on the internet. And well, you had the internet definitely, but you didn't have that so readily available in your pocket, you know, not, not as what it is now where you could watch videos, you could communicate live with people, you know, everything, the whole shindig is, you know, that you didn't get that back then. What you got was probably basic email and a basic messenger. So there wasn't anything that you could be readily, you could readily see unless you went to hot when you went home or you had a computer in front of you to go on the internet to see things or you had the TV. Um, so it was pretty much old school. So you didn't get completely affected and and so engrossed into things especially i noticed when when i when i think back at when i was at uni yes we had computers and we had the internet but like when you're working when you were working on your project you didn't have any distractions you only had your colleagues as distraction you might bust a couple of jokes troublemakers <laughs> or whatever but there wasn't anything that happened on the fly that you would get on the fly like how you get on the fly right now Something could go could happen right now in America to, to a celebrity, and you will know within two seconds. Yeah, you could know instantly. You don't get that instant kind of uh, transferable news right now, and I think that plays a huge part to people being distracted. Um, and because, and I use this word, and I think this gets overlooked when things are not readily available to you you tend to have less problems. When you have everything available to you at the touch of a hand, you know, if you've got everything, if you have too much information, that's when you start getting overwhelmed. Yeah. Become overwhelmed. And that's when the anxiety kicks in. That's when you start overthinking things. You know, you know, you could watch a video of, Kanye or, or somebody today, like right now, post up something and it will affect, it might not affect you directly, but subconsciously it's gonna affect the way, oh, should I should I even put that instrument in, in, my, in my, because he said it, you know, because there's too much of it. So does that make sense? That does make sense, that totally makes sense. Like capacity and overload and like exposure to information and stimuli, I guess. Yeah, I see. It's, that's, that's the word. Sorry, stimuli. Yeah. When you're overstimulated through these things, that's what causes the issues. I think it it causes so much problems. You know, um, and sometimes you've got to you've got to know when to lock it off and like just get to work. You know. Yeah, man. For real, that's interesting, man. Um, let's go. Let's go further. Let's. Uh, elaborate on the uh, on the tech side of things, but let's bring it back to like a uh, like kind of workflow and like what you yeah. do in twenty twenty one with the smartphones and stuff. We've just been talking about. Is it now, in your opinion, 
easier or even too easy for people to say, oh, I'm an animator, I'm a producer because I've, bam, I've got this app on my phone and I'm doing this and this and this. Has that kind of muddied the waters, in your opinion, as far as like who, who, who is a quote-unquote producer and who is a producer? Or, um, you know, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I agree. I think because now everything's digital and most of the way in which we're exposed to other people are through the digital world, it's so easy to kind of pull the wool over so many people's eyes because you look at the end product and... Um, what what makes more sense to me now is when you do see things for example on your phone which possibly explains the process that means a lot more to me and i think that's why a lot more people now are saying that they enjoy watching the process they love to see videos of how this was made or the struggle that this person went through or that because it it makes them feel okay there is a process here and this person is not faking it you know um but yes there is a lot of that and i mean the other day it was so nice i i I met up with um i met up with i don't know if 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 you remember her name's phoebe one she's a a rapper back here she's on she's also a a female disc jockey okay that's nice because she she she, we met up and for the first time i was talking and she, she was talking about music and what was really nice to hear it was the first time i've ever met her you know um she's obviously no mind stuff um but she said to me when we met up she goes ash when i listen to your stuff i can hear you're not a beat maker you are a producer that sees the process through and and she obviously understands that when she looks at say other things of mine that i i'm going through the process i just don't make a beat and say right there you go and then it goes off to someone to produce it. I am that. And when she said that, it kind of opened up my eyes to see, wow, there are a lot of people out there that just do one kind of process. Um, And it's very much easy to to pull the wool over people's eyes, but until you kind of get into the studio and you start seeing how people work, or you start seeing people's work ethic, however it might be, it could be a video of them explaining something, I don't know. Um, then you start to understand if people are kind of faking it or not. You know? Yeah. But um, definitely it's a, it, it's a situation where, for me, I look at my process con- con- like consistently. I, I, I like to think of myself not just as somebody who does one aspect of it. I try and do the full thing, even though I might not understand all aspects of it, because I'm not a musician. You know, I can't really play any instruments, but I understand the... the, the the pipeline of how a record should kind of move. Yeah. Cool, man. Um, for records you work on, speaking of process, like, have you got like a tool bag of processes, which you like, you, you pick one or another, depending on the artist you're collaborating with or working with, or do you have like one tried and tested process that you like, it's just the process is the same, but then maybe you use different elements, like whether it's different plugins or whatever on your, on your analog platform or your, or in the box. Everything start, starts off with the dynamic between me and the person and everything's different. <laughs> Everything is, every project is different. I mean, when it comes down to more of the technical sides, like mixing and stuff, I might use my processes because mixing is like, you've got, you see, the sounds good or it sounds bad. Yeah. You know, but even in mixing, everything's different because no two songs are ever the same. But 
each project is different. What I will say though, that doesn't change are the foundational processes, which is how you get to the final song. So obviously there's the songwriting, there's the, you know, the songwriting, the production or the pre-production, and then you get into um, the main production and then you might do a basic recording and then take the recording and maybe produce a little bit more. If, if, the, if you've got enough of the, 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 the beat there, the, the artist might write the whole thing against it. And then after you've done that, then you need, then need to kind of either go back to your production, fix up the production with the acapella or whatever it is. And then once that's done and you've got all the elements, then you kind of then sort out the vocals, you do your vocal production, make sure everything's in key, everything's, you know, everything's aligned perfectly. And then, then you can start kind of the mixing process. So in that regards, there is a, a, a strict process, I guess. And, you know, you've got to go from your mixing and then after your mixing and you go to your mastering and blah, blah, blah. But um, in terms of the actual creative processes, everything's different. Um, you know, it, yeah, it's a different process with each project, you know. Okay. Some, some projects can take not so long and some projects can take months, you know, or years, you know, depending on who you're working with. Cool, man. Um, do you find that, different artists you work with or maybe like you work with the same artist on a regular basis do you do you find that there's a varying level of uh technical understanding of the processes with the artists or like do you maybe you've got one artist who knows like as much as you do and then like like you're speaking the same language so you just need to say one word and they know what you're talking about or, or maybe on the other end of the spectrum you've got artists you work with who don't have a lick of knowledge about how everything works and you've got to talk them through it yeah, well, they're, they're, that's exactly it. I mean, there's people that come in that don't know anything and I have to guide them through, which is not a problem. You know, I have, this is my job. You know, you've got to make people feel comfortable. Um, and then there are amazing, long-standing artists that I work with, songwriters, like, for example, my good friend, Crochet, who I do a lot of work with. We talk the same language pretty much most of the time. Obviously, he's not so technically savvy as, as me, but... One thing I do appreciate about when he comes over and we, we record his vocals is that he understands that if I tell him to do something 20 times, he's not going to get tired. He will, I will know if he gets tired. Um, I, I could read his body language. You could read my body language. And then the biggest thing is, is that once I've taken all those, you know, takes of a, say, a, I don't know, a verse or a pre-chorus or whatever it is, he would want to, to sit with me and go through each word, each sentence to make sure it's perfect. And I think that's amazing because as an artist, when you're doing that, you're helping me, you know, I can sit back on the couch while he's there doing that for a couple of hours. And then once he's happy, he goes, Ash, jump on now, your, your time now. So those kind of relationships that you have with your songwriters and your artists, they're the real golden ones because when you start working together like that, you start getting into getting your work at its best. You know, yeah. start getting to that level where it's like, right, um, this is gonna be magic. You know. Cool, man. The specific brown shell. The specific brown shell. The specific brown shell.
Let's go back a bit. So um, when you were younger, like, who do you remember as like your biggest like musical influences when you were growing up? Like who, like, wow, you love their sound or like maybe, maybe like there was like multiple artists from the similar genre and like you fell in love with that genre of music. Like, so first one, that's be very common with a lot of producers. Um, Michael Jackson and Quincy Jones, um, just because it influenced how magical music was for me growing up. Um, it wasn't just something that sounded good. It was something that made you feel a certain way. It was, to me, that era of growing up in the 80s, listening to Michael Jackson was sheer magic for me. Um, and obviously, you know, it, he what I wanted to be like him. Everybody wanted to be like him and dance like him, you know. Um, but that was like my first musical, um, like first musical kind of inspiration, aspiration. And then um, as I grew older, I, Bob Marley, um, because again, it's not just music that sounds good. This is music that's affecting the world now. You know, it's affecting the way in which we treat people. It's affecting the way we look at people from a human perspective now. So this is not just entertainment. This is, this is now trying to progress as, as good people, you know, as being nice to one another, you know, trying to figure out, you know, what, what music can do, how music can heal people. Bob Marley stopped a war. He stopped a civil war in Jamaica. You know, two opposing parties, governmental parties, he got them on stage and made them held hands. And it, it rocked the nation. It stopped war. Wow. And when your music can do that, that is when it becomes the most powerful thing in the world is when it starts affecting people in that way where it can stop wars um, and that's why I, I i i loved bob marley and it's not just bob marley's music that's done that um it, there's loads of music that's, that's done things like that you know um but yeah bob marley michael jackson um the neptunes as I became a teenager, as I grew up um, and started listening to more Jay-Z, Swiss Beats. Um, yeah, there's just so many to name, but I think Pharrell as well, I mean, he's, he's, he's done a lot with the Neptunes. Chad from the Neptunes, he was kind of pinnacle with, with that whole era. Timberland, you know? And like right up to the time now, I would say someone like Diplo, who is a very interesting, producer dj because he knows how to translate he has translated so many different cultures um and made it kind of so accessible to everyone you know so i quite like what diplo's done um but from a young age yeah quincy jones michael jackson um prince um bob marley and then obviously there's so much that goes on in the Caribbean because I'm very much influenced on the Caribbean forefront as well. The music from the, the like the dancehall from the 90s, so listening to like Jeremy Harding, um, Tony Kelly, um, who else? 
King Jammies. There's just so many producers from Jamaica that just have this particular sound. That just sounds amazing. Uh, Stephen Marsden, Lenky, um, they're just great, great producers that have perfected this sound that sounds so simple, but it carries a huge melodic um, landscape, you know? Yeah. Cool, man. Um, would you say that you've got a signature sound and based off uh, what you've just been like describing, like your influences from growing up like to the present day, like um, have you got like a specific sound in your opinion or can it be a bit like eclectic and like it can cover different bases? I can definitely cover different bases. It's very much eclectic. I've always, I believe in when I say I've tried my hardest to figure out what my sound is. And I think only now, and it's so strange, it's only now in the last, say, three years where I've actually slowed down, like completely slowed down on the production because I've had so much work with the engineering side recording, mixing other people's stuff that I haven't had so much time to produce my own stuff. Have I really started to do, a, a, like, as you would say earlier on, do another era of soul searching within my music? And I think I'm getting closer. I shouldn't say I found it, but I'm very much getting closer to a sound that I am really, really liking. Um, uh, and it's it's pretty much kind of in line with the last record that I did with Crescent, which is Lockdown. And it's that whole very, very simple melodic um, tones with very, very uh, specific percussions, you know, really whittling down the pr pr productions down to a bare minimum and really figuring out what the bare minimum is of a production. And I think that eventually will be my sound. That's interesting, man. Um, from your knowledge of like your contemporaries and your peers like in the industry, like would you say that everyone has their own unique sound or are there several like producers or like mixing engineers who like they overlap, like they're in the same area? And if so, do you find yourself competing with other producers and men engineers who have like a similar sound to you or does everyone have their own niche? I think everyone has their own kind of sound in their own way, even though they might, it, they might cross over. Um, people have different artists to work with. So at the minute that their artist goes on their production, it's already their thing or whatever. But there's very little of like stepping on anyone's tones. Everyone's, it's such a small industry that we're all in that we, we try to help each other as much as possible. Um, and if there's something is sounding too similar, we just give each other the feedback to just say, you know, what it is that, you know, what makes it sound so similar. But there will always be competition, no matter what. But it's healthy competition. It's not competition to, to, to try and get someone out of a particular industry because, you know, it's saturated. What's saturated is the, 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 the sense of medi mediocrity and average that's that's what's saturating but there's never going to be a saturation of those who are very 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 good and that care about it so there could be two producers that sound kind of similar but if their work ethic and their the way they work are, are fantastic i don't think there's going to be any room for competition between them because they're just only going to find themselves working together in the end yeah 
with the new technology that's becoming available like on phones and like now you can like use apps on your phone like logic like uh controllers and things of that nature i do you find that you you're moving with the times and you're incorporating new technology to help you do what you do better or is it are you finding a lot of the stuff that's coming out is like superfluous to your requirements you don't need it and like it's just mud, like it's an unnecessary distraction if you will no i mean you the industry that we're in and it kind of goes back to what i was saying about even though when I was doing animation, when I stopped doing animation and I was doing music, I still would go on the animation websites just to see what new technology was there. It's the same with music. You have to keep up with it. You have to see, because this is the technology that's gonna, that the new generation is gonna be using. Even though you might not use it, it could be an app that a kid's gonna make a simple beat out of. It might not be finished, but at least I've dabbled, I've dabbled with a couple of things on my iPad and on my phone where I would make a, a very basic skeleton, maybe an eight bar beat. And I'll be like, okay, that sounds quite cool. I need to take that back home. And when I open up the studio, try and see how I could translate that into something better or how can I expand on it? So I think these emerging technologies where you can basically create anywhere, that's why I look at it. Being able, enabling a creative to create anywhere. I think that's great. I think if you could just pick up a phone, pick up a tablet, and you're at park, you're in the aeroplane, you're in airport, you could be wherever on the beach and you just very, you know, very conveniently pull out something that's not bulky and that can allow your ideas to flow. I think I'm, I'm, I'm all for that, you know, as long as, you know, it gets done in the right way. You know, I, I would never say, I don't know if, it, if something could be made fully on these apps. I think they can, but I do think they need to be translated back into a studio where you are, having a good listening environment, you know, you might make, you might structure and, you know, produce a whole beat on these devices, but I think the playback needs to be in an atmosphere where they allows you to have good listening, a good listening environment. Yeah, man. Um, regarding your techniques and your production and, and your engineering and things of that nature, do you find you, you you work mainly like in the box or do you work with like using analog equipment or is it a mix of both? And if so, it's a mix of, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, and like if so, um, depending on what your preference is, um, just explain like why that is to the listeners. So when you first start producing and engineering, you start getting into it and start really, really getting into it, start getting excited. Naturally, you do your research and you want to use analog and that's what I did. So you get into the analog world, you start fiddling around with things, it's fantastic. You realize it's really expensive, which is normal. And then um, you then I then I had to ask myself my, the question maybe a couple of years ago was, can I do it without all of this hardware? And the answer is yes, you can. Um, you can use everything in the box these days. There are some things you can achieve out of the box that just sound much nicer, but there's nothing I don't think there's anything that someone could do outside of the box in an analog world that I can't achieve within the box. But I do have analog gear in front of me, which you can't see. I occasionally use it, you know. Um, yeah, I occasionally use it, depending on how I feel. I might feel that this song needs that or that song doesn't need it. But the majority of the time, just for the ease of use, because now, well, before, 
I was traveling a hell of a lot. And that's the one thing when you're using analog is that if I start a mix and I'm using my equipment, I can't just pick up my laptop and then go to LA and then do the mix because the analog equipment's fixed to the studio. So for ease of use, it's much better for me to be using, like I'm doing it, doing my stuff in the box. Um, and the kind of way I've been learning and the people that I've been mentored by, you know, very high engineers who's won Grammys and things like that. I mean, the way in which they, they're, they're teaching me to think as an engineer, I have slowly gone back in the box because I do believe that some of my mixes are sounding so much better in the box. Nice one. The Specific Brown Show. The Specific Brown Show. The Specific Brown Show. Do you do most of your work like on your laptop or like do you, do you find that, um, is there a studio where you go to like do a lot of your work or can you, um, I think you kind of already answered it saying like you can do a lot of your stuff like in the box. Um, like is, it, is, is there like a studio that you have like an affiliation with where like, you know, you- uh, Yeah, I understand what you mean. So even though everything's in the box and on my laptop, I do need to have a studio that has a kind of similar setup. I use specific speakers that I know what these speakers are telling me. So if I go to a new studio and it's a separate set of speakers, separate set of equipment, separate room acoustics, I have to get used to that. But there are a few, um, obviously this is my home studio, my home environment. Pretty much everything gets done in here in terms of as of the last two years, due to the pandemic. There are occasional times where I would go to other studios. I've got a friend's studio in Clapham. Um, that is combination studios there. There are, I have used Metropolis before. Um, there are various studios that I would use, but I tend to finish off stuff here, especially if I'm mixing it because I know my equipment and I know what's coming out of these speakers. Um, it's only when someone's got real high budgets that we can go to a bigger studio and we kind of set up shop there for the whole production. Um, but that requires a lot of money, as yeah. you can imagine. Or it, it ha whether it's a lot of money or it has to be someone else's studio, I guess. But um, th this is the main studio that I use, is it? Okay. Um, you mentioned Metropolis. Um, Metropolis is uh, like owned by ACM and just for the listeners' benefit, this is uh, I've now let I've now left ACM, and so this uh, podcast has no real official affiliation with ACM. So, um, based with that in mind, um, have, have you um, when you work at Metropolis, is there something that stands out to you that makes it like so famous for what it is? Um, yeah, it's just high end. Everything in there is high end. It's the busiest studio in the world. Um, you've got every big act rolling through there and it's not just one name occasionally it's usually the same names very often future Wizkid, you know camille purcell her studio is in there when drake comes to the uk i mean i know he's probably got other studios he cuts a lot of stuff at metropolis um you've got 
Grammy award-winning mastering engineers and mixing engineers there. Um, and it's because of that, that's why Metropolis is probably, it stands out to be a very famous studios in the world, you know. Um, and that's why it's so expensive as well, you know, it's not cheap. <laughs> you know, one of the studios costs, I don't know, close to a couple of grand a day. Um, so it's, uh, it's not cheap, you know, um, but because what you're paying for is so high end and it comes with a plethora of add-ons, engineers, you know, you, you've got everything. So when you, when you bring the creativity to that situation, you're going to get records that are going to be rivaled with the biggest records in the world. Yeah. Um, Regarding your workflow, like what was the typical week like for you? Like, do you work uh, like 40 hours a week or do you work all week? Are you workaholic or do you like to balance your like work and social life? How? So I never used to. And that's the kind of thing when you're quite young, you kind of learn that skill really late. In fact, you asked me if I had a DeLorean, what I would tell my previous self, whatever. I'd just tell maybe take some time to yourself. So that's the only thing. Um, but yes, I would, as a, young, as a young person, to anyone listening, you need to take moments for yourself. Um, I used to work flat out. And I think part of the reason why was a very personal one, which comes down to the situation that I, we was talking about, about having done animation and having done music, and having done music and starting from ground zero quite late on, I always constantly felt bad. So I felt I needed to play catch up, which inadvertently made me work extra, extra hours or extra time when it's almost like you're beating yourself up. That's what I was doing, constantly beating myself up. Um, but yeah, take time. I mean, now, because I'm busy, that's the only reason why I'm overworked. I'm not overworked for the sake of being overworked. I'm overworked because I need the money. Um, I've got bills to pay. And that I don't mind. I don't mind staying up between 16 to 18 hours a day. Um, and sometimes I'm up, you know, 20 hours a day doing work because this is my life. This is the life I've chose and I wouldn't have it any other way. However, there is a day that I I do choose to occasionally rest on. Well, every Sunday I, I make sure that's my day where I can just sit in the, sit on the couch, maybe do a bit of reading, watch a movie, whatever. Um, some Saturdays I'll do the same thing, but I'm learning to slow down and just learning to go really hard during the week now. Okay, that sounds good, man. Um, looking forward to the future, like, is there like a bucket list of like professional things regarding to your career that you want to achieve? Um, or are you in a good place where you don't really feel that there's anything you, you to... Uh, there's loads of things that I would like to, to achieve. I definitely want to produce something that hits the billboard or mix something that hits the billboard. Um, I just want to be able to just get more mix work. I will be recognized more in the world of, of engineering as a mix engineer. Um, and that's going to take time. These, these specific kind of accolades take a, a long time to kind of pursue, depending on how much work you get. Um, and just learn to take things slower. As, as things 
go progress to just keep climbing the ladder you know and i've noticed that i am climbing the ladder and i think i'm at a good a good pace at the moment of climbing but no i don't think i've hit my um apex i don't think i ever will um i think i've got a lot to do and i'm just looking forward i'm taking one step at a time and one thing i'm i'm doing is i'm not focusing too much or too hard on what the next step is because i don't want to have to look up and have to say if i don't meet that i have to you know because you can then get disappointed with yourself you have expectations i'm just taking each day as it comes because i know each day something's happening something's moving for me in a very small way and i think that's enough for me to to just say i'm actually quite happy and very grateful for my journey that sounds really wise man <laughs> um what can the public expect? What can the listeners expect from you in the in the short or midterm, long term future? Like, have you, is there anything you're working on at the moment? Yeah, so short term and midterm, I guess, will be more music, better music. Um, long term, me actually getting slightly higher budget with my music, so real good content with the music. Good, good videos, whether it's animated or not. More kind of output from me, not just with music, but with engineering. So just a, what I would say is just a general progression of Smash, you know. Um, short term, definitely more music. I've got another track coming out with Prashane. I've got another record coming out with some other new artists from um, the Caribbean. I'm probably going to have the opportunity now the world is opening up to travel, travel a bit more. So I'm going to open and expand my kind of repertoire to probably work with more artists. So just more, more output from Smash and just more kind of collaborative stuff that I'm helping other people with, whether it's mixing or recording or whatever, production as well. A sound, man. Um, before we end, um... Could you, would you like to inform the public about like your socials are where they can follow you like in a professional capacity or if anyone wants to work with you like how they can get in contact yeah of course i try to respond to everyone um you can get me on instagram which is at i am smash my facebook is the same facebook.com forward slash at i am smash my twitter is at i am smash but with an 84 i never managed to get the handle in time um, and um, you can you can search me, but when you search me on Google, you probably have to search my name, which is Ashwin Sigovin, and there'll be like loads of information on me on on on, on myself on there. Um, and my website, you can either ashwinsigovin.com or iamsmash.com. You can find everything that you need on that website, which is active. Um, but yeah, it's a. Uh, that's that's kind of where you can just find me on the internet. It shouldn't be that hard to, to find once you just type in the right thing. Um, and that's about it. That's great. Ash, it's been an absolute pleasure, man. Thanks for coming on the show today. And uh, maybe we Thank can- Thank you for having me, man. I really appreciate it. Thank no, you. No problem, man. Maybe we can do this again sometime. Definitely. Okay, thank that you. Was Take my care. interview with okay. Ash from ACM. Thanks again, once again, to Ash for joining me on the show. Um, we'll be back again, same time, same place next week at midday on Monday. And in the next episode, I'll be joined by Paolo from ACM London. Paolo is responsible for organizing music events 
Um, he's, he runs a society and he runs um, various uh, functions for ACM London. So I'm going to sit down with Paolo and that should be a great conversation. Until then, keep it real, keep it blessed. Thanks for listening to the SB Show. Come back soon for more cloth talk. Until next time, keep it real, mi gente.